welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 111. Osceola Wild Turkeys with Roger Shields. And I am your host, Ebenezer Scrooge, and we are 97 days. 97 days. 16 hours, 42 minutes, and 54 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So I may be Ebenezer Scrooge when it comes to Christmas, but when it comes to turkey season, I am far from that. I'm more like little Timmy on Christmas Eve. So I mentioned I am Ebenezer Scrooge, and I really am. You know, I kind of feel like the majority of the country has gotten away from what Christmas is all about. And it really just irks me. It crawls all over me when I go into a store like Lowe's or Home Depot in October and they have not even pulled down their Halloween decorations yet and they've already got their Christmas decorations up. It's all about the dollar and that is not the reason for the season. So with all of that being said, despite the fact that I'm Ebenezer Scrooge, I have a very happy person at home and that is because we went and got a tree last night. So the tree is up. The house is starting to smell like Christmas. The wife is happy, and we don't have any Christmas decorations up yet, other than the tree being in the stand and being in the living room, but the foundation is there, and she is pumped. And I guess, really, that's a big part of what it's about, too. So today, you got a quickie from me, a quickie intro and a quickie outro, because I have to pick up my Yankee buddy, John, from Virginia, at the airport soon. We have our annual dove, rabbit, squirrel, deer, and chupacabra hunt this week, and I always look forward to this trip every year, and this year is no different. I get to hang out with a number of my buddies, whom you all have met in previous episodes, Chip, who's been in several episodes, but the one that most of you will probably remember him from is Old Man Haney's Turkey. That's episode 11. Todd will be there, and Todd is probably the one guy that I turkey hunt with the most, and he was in episode 13, and that is the story about the 13-year-old boy who happened to have shot a turkey and got very excited and forgot the fact that he's not supposed to be using adult words. 
Of course, I mentioned my Yankee buddy John from episode 19, the Missouri Monster Turkey, and episode 33, the Texas Decoy Massacre, which still tears me up. Eric from episode 17, the Whiskey Turkey. George, who was also on episode 11, Old Man Haney's Turkey with Chip. And my buddy Brian, who was on episode 34, telling all about the story of our Ohio turkey hunt from a couple of years ago. So, as you guys can probably guess, it's going to be an eventful and fun week with those guys. And since I'm going to be quick today, I want to go ahead and get into today's show. So, today I have Roger Shields with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission to talk about Osceola wild turkeys. I know that there are many of you guys listening to this show who have zero interest in traveling out of state to pursue a Grand Slam, a World Slam, or even a Royal Slam. And right now, this very second, you have zero interest in hunting the Osceola subspecies. But I want to tell you that I believe you're missing out one of the most unique experiences that a hunter can have while hunting and that is going to Florida and hunting the Osceola wild turkey. These birds are masters at appearing from and disappearing into nowhere. And speaking of masters, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If an eastern wild turkey has a bachelor's degree in woodsmanship, then the Osceola wild turkey has a master's degree in woodsmanship. And of course, that's just my opinion. And I think it was Jeff Buds, who I had on the show, who disagreed with me. Because he thinks that Easterns are harder to kill than Osceolas. And I'm cool with that. Jeff's killed and hunted lots more Osceolas than I have and probably ever will. So I can't argue that with him. And I wouldn't argue with him even if I could because, like all of you guys, he's entitled to his opinion. Okay, so I digressed a little bit, and I need to get back into today's topic, and that is Roger Shields and Osceola Wild Turkeys. And I mentioned that Roger is with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, and he is actually the wild turkey program coordinator for the commission. And he knows a lot about Osceolas and their habitat in Florida as well. So without any further delay, here's Roger to talk about Osceolas with us. Hope you enjoy the interview, and I look forward to seeing you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I am excited to tell you that I have on the line with me today Roger Shields, who is the Wild Turkey Program Coordinator with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. And I've got Roger with us today to talk about one of my favorite topics relating to wild turkeys and one of my favorite subspecies of wild turkeys. And so far, I have five of those. (laughs) And that is the Osceola wild turkey. And Roger's going to share with us a little bit of information about that for you guys that maybe have an Osceola on your list, on your bucket list. And if you don't, I highly recommend it. It truly is, well, it's an experience. And it's something that everyone needs to experience. It's just, to me, the birds have have a sort of mystique around them, and I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit during our conversation, but Roger, how are you, and where are you? Hi, Andy. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm actually in my office today. I'm in Panama City, Florida, uh, here on the uh, 
Emerald Coast and the Panhandle of Florida. Yeah, which is a beautiful spot of the world to be in, no doubt. I so, will say it's uh, some beautiful beaches we have here. That is for sure. That is for <laughs> sure. And some mighty fine fishing in the area as well. Ah, uh, yes. So, did you guys get any rain last night? <laughs> Very little bit. Okay. Yeah, we're hurting for rain, but we did get a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. I know that there are still a lot of areas, even though we had that rain come through, a lot of areas that are, are suffering from the drought, and it'll take a long time to recover from that in the, in the southeast. But at least, you know, maybe this little band of rain that came through will give us a break from some of these forest fires and wildfires that are going on throughout the southeast. Mm-hmm. So that's a good mm-hmm. thing. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, and you told me you turkey hunt. Tell us a little bit about how you got into turkey hunting as well. All right. Well, I... I grew up in the Midwest, and then I went and did some schooling in Utah and South Dakota. Worked on my master's studying wild turkeys in South Dakota. They were doing kind of an introduction of uh, the eastern subspecies into a portion of, of the state. So that was my graduate work, and that's when I really first got exposed to, to wild turkeys. After I graduated from, from South Dakota State University, I got hired down here in Florida, uh, working with the Wild Turkey Management Program, and I've basically been with them ever since. I took a couple years, worked with a different group, but then found my way back to turkeys. And and, uh, it was down here when I kind of got exposed to turkey hunting. My supervisor that that hired me, he was an avid turkey hunter, and he kind of took me under his wing and and taught me a little bit about the the sport of turkey hunting and and got me the the experience into it. So that's, that's how I got started in it. Fantastic. So you worked on the introduction of the Easterns into South Dakota. And what part of the state were the Easterns introduced? That study was um, in Grant County in the northeast corner of the state. The South Dakota Department of Game and Fish had previously experimented with some different subspecies in that, even a little bit further north than Grant County. And a previous graduate student had, had looked at that. They had some Rio Grands and some Easterns, and they were trying to decide which one seemed to do better. And, and his his research seemed to indicate that the Easterns did a little bit better in that part of the state. And so they wanted to expand, and, and so they once they knew the Easterns seemed to do better, then that's where they went. They got birds from Iowa and Kentucky donated and moved them into Grant County, which was the next county to kind of the southeast. And they wanted to make sure they were, you know, surviving and doing well, so that was my project to kind of monitoring and following their uh, expansion and growth in the county. Very cool. And is that yeah. population alive and well today? As far as I know, yeah, doing pretty well. Um, I know it pretty rapidly they opened it up to hunting, you know, limited hunting, and, and it's been open to hunting ever since. I think it was about the third year after the restoration or the introduction that they uh, started hunting it. So wow. Pretty quick. Yeah. Now, they did have a few... I don't know what you would call them, maybe game farm birds or something like that in the northern part of the county that probably helped numbers a little bit. But for the most part, they were um, all all wild, trapped and transplanted birds into the county, and, and they just took off. Cool. Well, that all of that's interesting to me, and you know, just the I guess reintroduction or even introduction in some cases of turkeys and not just turkeys, but other wildlife species as well, into areas that they once were or new areas for them. And, you know, just, I guess, that whole 
experiment of are they going to make it or are they not and that type of thing. So you know, the part, the fact that you got to be part of that, I think is is pretty interesting and pretty neat for me. So yeah. Well, let's talk about some Osceola wild turkeys. Okay. You know, I can talk to you about Rios and Easterns and Merriams all day too, but we'll we'll get into the Osceolas. So let's, I guess, start with the obvious, or in the case of the Osceola, a lot of times the not so obvious difference between the Osceolas and the Easterns, but as well as the other subspecies of turkeys. So what physically distinguishes an Osceola from Let's say the Easterns, because they most resemble the Easterns. I think it's probably pretty pretty easy for most of us to look at a picture and say, this is a Merriam's or a Rio, and right. this is an Eastern or an Osceola. So let's look at that difference between an Eastern and an Osceola. Yeah, probably the, the most obvious difference that people are going to notice would be just the appearance of the, the wings, the primary and secondary wing feathers. Um, and, and the difference is that, well, I'll start with the eastern, the, the barring on those feathers on an eastern and the other subspecies for that matter, uh, the white and the dark barring are somewhat even uh, in the, the width of those bars. And on the Osceola, the amount of white barring is greatly diminished. And sometimes the barring doesn't even go all the way across the feather. It'll be broken and things like that. So it gives that wing a very kind of an overall darker appearance and gives the whole bird an overall darker appearance. So that's the most obvious difference. You know, when you start talking averages and numbers and things, they're, they're smaller birds than the other subspecies. Uh, when you talk about weight, um, they, they seem to have a, a little bit longer legs, but they're lighter in body weight. Although in most cases, individual variation, you're not going to notice any kind of difference there, and you're not going to be able to detect any kind of size difference, really, if you're just looking at them. And then also, their spurs tend to be a little bit longer on Osceolas than the other subspecies as well. Although there, again, individual variation, bird to bird, you, you may not see any real distinct difference. It's just when you get hundreds of birds and you start averaging them, then, then you see the difference. Right, yeah. Uh, but yeah, overall, the, the main difference people will, will see is just in that wing, the appearance of those wings. Yeah. But that was, you mentioned the long legs on the Osceola, and that was one thing that really stuck out to me and my hunting buddies when we hunted them the first time, is that it seems like the legs on the Osceola are about 50% longer than the legs on an Eastern. Do you think that has something to do with the fact that they're, they tend to hang around a little bit in some swampy areas and need a little bit of extra height in some cases? Or <laughs> what do you think that's it, attributed to? It could be, uh, just to give them that little bit of extra height. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what would be the reason for that. Yeah, it, like I said, it's something that kind of stuck out to us and could just mm-hmm. be the area that we hunted those birds. And, you know, that particular terrain there in that area had some Long legs. I won't go as far as to say they were flamingos. <laughs> yeah. but, but it was noticeable. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. So, you know, I think for me, like I mentioned when we started our call here, the Osceola has a little bit of a, a mystique around it. And, you know, I think that the name of the bird is, I think it's fitting, really. You know, when you study the history and that kind of thing of 
of the Indians in that area, I think that, you know, is, like I said, a fitting name for the turkey. But for those who are listening to the show who don't know, how did the Osceola get its name? All right. Well, the uh, subspecies was described by a gentleman who's an ornithologist, naturalist, um, traveled pretty broadly around uh, the country in, in his studies, but he came to Florida and he observed the, the what he called the Florida wild turkey and, and it different appearance than the ones he'd seen elsewhere, particularly the eastern, and so he described it. The gentleman's name was uh, William Earl Dodge Scott. This was back in 1890, and he selected as the name of this subspecies, um, the Osceola, in recognition or in honor or whatever, uh, of the Seminole chief Osceola, the, the great chief that had led the, um, the wars against the invading, if you want to call it that, the, the white man as he came into Florida. And uh, so, yeah, kind of recognize the heritage and the history of Florida itself in the naming of, of that subspecies. You know, these birds in the area that they live in, I think if, if we as civilized human beings who enjoy our air conditioning and mosquito screens around our porches and that kind of stuff, if we were to live in the area that those birds live in day in, day out, that would be pretty amazing and you think about it and the indians did just that Mm -hmm. in that area and so you know i I think it's it's all pretty cool that's uh you know just an amazing area i mean it really is the terrain and the landscape that these birds live in day in day out is is some of the most beautiful in the in the country but also i think can be some of the most brutal in the country as well when you consider that right there's a few water moccasins around. There's a couple of alligators, but if those two don't get you, then the mosquitoes are most likely just going to literally carry you away. Yeah, it's harsh conditions. Um, in fact, it's interesting you bring that up because um, Florida, because of the harsh conditions, for a long time had a very healthy turkey population. You know, this is going back um, into the 1800s, uh, where a lot of the other states and the Union. Um, in the southeast, we'll say, uh, we're starting to see declines because of the growth of the human population and, and hunting and loss of habitat and things like that. But Florida was still relatively untouched from all of that because of the harsh conditions. Nobody really wanted to, to come to Florida. But as technology improved and you know, air conditioning and different things like that came on and people started coming into Florida and the population grew um, you know, by like the 19. 19- well, in the early 1900s, uh, the population started growing, and, and that's when we started seeing the turkey population declining. So, yeah, we were kind of a refuge for turkeys for a long time, yeah. and, and it protected them, and, and they had real healthy numbers, and then went through that decline, and then just like everywhere else in the country got concerned and, and really kind of put effort into restoring them and, and brought their numbers back up to, to real healthy levels again today. It takes a lot of work on a lot of people's part to do that. You know, I think everyone listening to the show appreciates that for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that Florida is the only state that has the Osceola wild turkey in it. But can you share with us the range of the Osceola? Because you guys are fortunate enough to have not just the Osceola, but you also have Easterns as well. So there's a, a fairly distinct line, at least I understand there is, of of where the state has drawn that says everything from here to here is Osceola territory and everything from here to here is Eastern territory. But Right. 
sure that well, was... what what is occurring? So you have the the eastern subspecies in the eastern U.S. and and then in Florida in the uh, peninsula, we've got the the Osceola, and where their ranges meet, we have really more of an integrate, and it's a rather wide range uh, or area that this integrate occurs. And if you want to get technical, the the part of the state that we consider eastern is is really more of an integrate region, and that stretches from Georgia all the way over to you know Louisiana. Really, this is where the two are kind of mixing and mingling. So what happened is the folks that were looking at it um, noticed that the influence of the eastern seemed to disappear, and it became very just kind of pure Osceola at a certain point in the state. And so they they kind of had this line, but to make it easy for folks to keep track of they just kind of the turkey federation and our agency um, back in the day agreed and settled upon this this line that follows county borders and it basically runs from just north of jacksonville at an angle kind of south west just kind of past uh, lake city down to what we call the big bend area of the state um, down there around cross city and perry and uh, so the county lines that Along there is really kind of the boundary that we call everything south of that line is if it's if you find a bird south of that line we consider it an Osceola. Yeah. So what are some of the counties in the state that has the highest populations of Osceolas, and are there any public hunting opportunities in those counties? Oh yeah. So uh, we we actually have uh, a lot of public hunting opportunities in the state. We've got somewhere around six million acres of public lands, and not all of it in the Osceola range, but a big portion of it is. And um, interestingly enough, or maybe fittingly, one of the really good counties in the state is its namesake, the Osceola County, uh, right there around uh, Orlando. It has a, a real good, dense population of birds. You go pretty much uh, north of Orlando, heading up toward Jacksonville, following kind of either side of the St. John's River and, and those are, again, areas of pretty high-density turkeys. Those counties are like Marion County, Alachua County, Bradford, Putnam, Clay, those counties there along that St. John's River. And then um, kind of the other area that I would mention would be kind of the ranch land areas of South Florida that, that occur west and southwest of Big Lake Okeechobee. Uh, some of those counties are like uh, Charlotte, uh, Glade, Collier County, even Hardy and DeSoto County have pretty good populations. Yeah. And that's down in the real south part of uh, Florida. Yeah. I think that when most people hear the word Florida and think of the state, they think of beaches and beautiful girls in bikinis. Yeah, or Disney. <laughs> oh, that's there too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I don't think a lot of people realize how much how many farms and ranches there are there and you know, there of course Florida is known for the orange groves and mm-hmm. you know, the, the plantations there but also the the ranches and cattle farmers and, and those establishments there and they all all of the Osceolas do well in in both of those habitats and so yeah it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty, pretty yeah we uh, we do really owe a bit of gratitude to those uh, landowners that have maintained their lands uh, in kind of native conditions and, and supported our wildlife. And 
if it weren't for them, and we do have a lot of public land, but we're we're relying on those public, uh, I'm sorry, those private lands as much as well. So we're we're grateful for what they do. And uh, you're absolutely right. The uh, the ranch lands support a lot of wild turkeys in South Florida. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. People, like you said, they think of the beaches and and the you know Miami and uh, Disney and Orlando, but there's a lot of really wide open spaces that, and deep woods you can get lost in uh, rather easily down here too. So uh, that is the truth. Yeah, it's yep. I think people are, are kind of amazed to hear of cowboys that come from Florida, but there are yeah. a lot of them. <laughs> there are. So Florida, at least to me, I think is very protective of the numbers of turkeys in its public land areas. And I think that's a good thing. Are there, and I and I'm saying that I'm saying that along the lines of the areas where there are draws put in mm-hmm. for tags to to hunt a public land area over a, a specific period of time where it's kind of closed off to the general public and only the people who are drawn are able to go in and hunt. But it's not all not every public land place where the Osceola habitat is is that way, is it? No, no, and and what you're referring to is we call our limited entry uh, system. We we have a quota permit for most of the areas, and and then a few of the areas down there are our special opportunity hunt areas. But we do have a handful of areas, and generally they're they're really large uh, properties too uh, that are you don't have to have any kind of special permit to to go and hunt there, uh, any kind of limited entry type permit. Uh, they're just open, and uh, you, can, you can go, and they're pretty much open the entire season too. So, but you know, going back to the to the quota system or the limited entry system, the reason we've got that is we've got so many, a lot of pressure on these public lands, and it's just a way of kind of controlling how much pressure these areas do receive, and and still, you know, maintaining populations there. And and like I said, a lot of them are smaller areas, so um, good in terms of wildlife numbers and turkey populations that are on these areas, but they're small in acreage, and a lot of them. And so we try to limit the number of people that can be out there so we don't get too much crowding and that kind of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. And I, like I said, I think that's a good thing. But, you know, I know that I hear people from other parts of the country saying, well, you know, it's, it's impossible to go to Florida, nearly impossible mm-hmm. to go to Florida and, and hunt public land down there for an Osceola, and that's just not the case. So not at all, and, and uh, you know, some of these areas that are open that, that you're referring to in the heart of, you know, the counties that we were just talking about that are, you know, dense, high-density turkey numbers, um, a couple of them just south of Orlando, you got Three Lakes and Bull Creek, um, both excellent areas. In fact, they're kind of on either side of one of our special opportunity areas, areas like I was saying before, these special opportunity areas are set up in, you know, high quality turkey areas to be just kind of super hunts. And then on either side of that, we've got these open areas that anybody can go and hunt. There's big cypress down there and on the other side of the Lake Okeechobee. Um, on the east side, there's the, the Corbett Wildlife Management Area. Up in the a little bit further north, we've got um, the, what we call the Upper St. John's River Marsh. And uh, so... There are plenty of areas that, that people can go to and, and find birds. And, and like I said, uh, they're actually in really good 
habitat and, and have good numbers of birds. They do get a lot of pressure because they are open, but the, the numbers of birds are there. And particularly, I think, if you avoid kind of that first weekend or the first week or so of the season, a lot of the pressure really drops off in these areas, and, and uh, you can arrange your your hunting uh, you know, trips and things like that around some of that. It might work out better for some folks. Sure. Yeah, and I think that's great advice. And, you know, I, and I keep touching on the public land, but there are some fantastic private land opportunities and some wonderful outfitters in Florida that you know, some of these cattle farmers and, and farmers who operate these these orange groves and that kind of thing are they do have hunting operations that mm-hmm. you know, open up opportunities yeah. there and, and it's some fantastic hunting so you know there's there is no shortage of hunting opportunities for Osceolas in the area it just depends on like most things in life you're either going to trade time or you're going to trade money yeah, That's I think probably a good way of putting it. Yeah, I think if you're going to hunt yeah. public land, you're going to be trading some time. Yeah. And a lot of, I would say boot leather, but you don't want to wear leather boots, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> so we'll say some boot rubber. How about that? There you go. Yes. So, yeah. you know, you mentioned in these areas, you know, maybe letting the first week of the season come and go before someone takes on a, a public land hunt in Florida. Let's talk about the season a little bit because because of the fact that Florida is so far south and in the winter time when we're making that transition from the short days of the winter to the longer days of summer, Florida is really the first state where that starts to transition and we start getting these longer periods of daylight which sparks the wild turkey into wanting to maybe be a little bit more romantic than they are in the fall and, and winter time. So the season comes in earlier. Yes, it and, does. And that gives people from other parts of the country whose season is not in yet the opportunity to start turkey hunting sooner. So is there, what, I guess, where in the state does the season open the earliest for the Osceola, you know, kind of what counties and what areas? Mm-hmm. So the, the southern part of the state opens a couple weeks earlier than the rest of the state, the northern part, and, and it's, again, we follow kind of an easy-to-identify line. It's State Road 70. It runs east to west, basically just on the northern tip of Lake Okeechobee. And so all those counties that lay south of that highway, they open every year the first weekend, first Saturday of March, with the regular season. Now there's a youth hunt, a two-day youth hunt, um, both on private land and most, a lot of our public lands operate as well. <clears throat> there's a two-day youth hunt that occurs the weekend before that, which is typically in February. Um, but but for the regular season, that first Saturday of March is when that season opens, and I think that's the earliest season in the in the country. The rest of the state, north of that line, it opens two weeks later, so that's the third Saturday in March that, that it opens. Regardless of when it opens, the season runs uh, for five full weeks or six weekends. It closes on a Sunday. Yeah, it's a nice long season. And actually, you guys, in a lot of the areas of the state, you guys have a, a lengthy fall season, season as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, so we have kind of a... a 
fall turkey season, uh, depending on what part of the state you're in, it's either a 41-day season or a 58-day season, and that's shotguns are allowed in, in that fall season. But, but the turkeys are also legal during the full archery season, which is 30 to 33-day season, uh, during the crossbow season and the muzzleloading gun season. So there's plenty of opportunity as well in the fall to, to go after birds. I think that most people listening to this show are spring turkey hunters and they're fall deer hunters or upland mm-hmm. bird hunters, that kind of thing, duck hunters. So, you know, I think that you want to probably avoid the springtime turkey hunting pressure in the public lands and fall may be a good time to get out there and, and chase an Osceola through the swamp. Yeah, the the opportunities on public land for fall are a little more limited. Um, okay. That across the board on private land, all those seasons I mentioned on the on the public land, the archery season is pretty much open uh, on all of our public lands. Uh, the gun season is a little more limited. There's I think about 12 areas that offer uh, what we call the firearm fall season. So that's a little bit more of a challenge to find those areas on public land but the private land yeah it's the whole whole time okay that's great info yeah all right so we've talked about some of the physical differences between the osceolas and the other subspecies the easterns but i want to talk a little bit about some of the behavioral differences between and i think that just because we have such a large part of the country where eastern wild turkeys roam that there are a a great number of people listening to this show who hunt easterns and can relate how the birds in their areas react to calling and how how much they gobble and that kind of thing you know they they can picture that in their mind anytime you ask them to talk about it and i i know that it's really hard to say just in general you know how responsive to calling and, and to decoys and to gobbling is a subspecies of turkeys because there are pockets within their population where they don't have as much pressure and maybe they're more responsive to calls and decoys and maybe they gobble more or whatever it happens to be. But just generally, and you're familiar with the Easterns from your graduate work, how, how do you think the gobbling of the Osceola compares to some of the other subspecies that that you've got some experience with, and talk a little bit about responsiveness to calls, to decoys, things that us hunters are going to want to know before we start to plan a trip. And and I have to say up front, I I don't have a lot of experience with the western subspecies. Basically, I've only hunted down here in Florida, so my breadth of experience is somewhat limited, but from what I've heard, you know, other folks say and, and what I have witnessed myself is that the Osceola, for whatever reason, uh, doesn't seem to gobble as much as some of the other subspecies, and it's not unusual to hear them uh, gobble a little bit on the on the roost, and then once they fly down, they don't respond anymore. They so when people are coming from out of state and and uh, you know I'm talking with them, I encourage them to to be patient. You know, just because you're not hearing birds and they're not gobbling all the way in, doesn't mean they're not coming. Um, they, for whatever reason, they do a lot of times just, and, and that's, you know, it's, this is why we love turkey hunting because it's so variable, but 
that's not to say that someday some bird's not just going to sound off and go crazy and gobble all the way into to the decoy or to, you know, your calling or what. But, you know, it, it just seems like um, a lot of times they're, they're much quieter than, than other subspecies in their response to, to calling. And, and honestly, I, I don't really know how responsive they are to decoys and things like that. I, I think I've heard folks say that, you know, one day it works and one day it doesn't, just probably much like any other bird or other subspecies that, you know, they try it with decoys and, and if it's not working, if they're getting shy of the decoys, they don't want to come in or, or whatever, they'll take decoys away or vice versa. If they can't get them to come in, they'll stick a decoy up and that'll sometimes bring them in. So I don't know there's a whole lot of behavioral difference in, in the way they respond to those things. Um, my experience with the Osceolas is, is limited in hunting them compared to a lot of people, especially turkey hunters in that South Florida area. But I think that what you said about them not gobbling all the way into your calls or into your decoy setup or wherever you happen to be hunting is very true. We actually, on my first trip down there, the first Osceola I killed never gobbled one time. Mm-hmm. And he just appeared. It was like he opened up a trap door in the middle of a cow pasture and just showed up right there and was right. standing there at 30 yards staring at us. And so we were we were actually hunting and calling a different bird, and you know I'm sure this was a subordinate bird, or at least I would think he was a subordinate bird that was afraid to that if it gobbled he might get his rear end kicked. But the bird we were calling a bird that was gobbling off in a different direction, and I just happened to get that feeling that I was being watched. Kind of cut my head over to my left shoulder, and there he is standing there, like I said, about 30 yards and just looking. Mm-hmm. So yeah. You, so you don't want to overcall and, uh, you know, be patient. They may be right. And, and a lot of the area in, in Florida is fairly thick in terms of the cover, and so you don't see them all the time until, like you said, they just all of a sudden materialize right in front of you. Yeah, you actually have to hunt. You have to keep your eyes and your ears open at all times because you don't know where those jokers are going to show up. Yeah. So. Yep. Well, you mentioned this a little bit when we were talking about the range of the Osceola, and that's the hybridization between mm-hmm. the Easterns and the Osceolas, and you you used a different term, and I'll ask you again what that term was. Uh, intergrade, okay. kind of an intergrade between the two subspecies, and that range where they meet up. Yeah, and you mentioned that that, that runs even all the way into Louisiana. Um, yeah, I mean, based on some of the early researchers uh, and what they're they found and, and what they studied, it seems like that strip runs, you know, kind of along that whole coastal plain uh, through Alabama and even into the edge of Louisiana, Mississippi, and over to Louisiana. But uh, and, and basically, what you're seeing is just the mixing of those characteristics and those genetic traits and things. Where again, you just they're subspecies, so they'll interbreed anytime they come upon each other. Yeah. So I guess because of that and because of the fact that it's been going on forever, there's not much concern or worry with either you as the program coordinator, basically the, the head turkey guy in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. There's no worry about hybridization of Nasiola subspecies and, and that water getting kind muddy, of, so to speak, over a yeah, period of time. Yeah, and that line creeping. Yeah. Uh, not really. I mean, you think about the, 
evolutionary time frame uh, that these subspecies have been occurring or developing. And, you know, we're talking thousands of years, particularly now as we're a little more sensitive to the, the differences of the subspecies when we are um, doing any kind of translocation and moving um, birds into new areas or trying to restore, you know, kind of restock areas. We're very sensitive of what those birds should be, and then we make sure we're getting the right genetics, if you will, or the right subspecies. So, for example, we did um, a restoration in the panhandle a few years back, early 2000s, and we made sure that we were pulling birds from local counties and that they were easterns and being moved into those areas. Uh, conversely, we did a couple other restorations. We did one uh, kind of a restoration uh, to the Everglades. There traditionally had been birds in this what they call Pine Rockland area of the Everglades. You wouldn't think it, but there used to be a connection to the, the northern part of the state through this kind of Rockland area that ran up through Miami. It's been since cut off as development occurred. But anyway, we took birds there, and we made sure that they were, you know, from South Florida, the birds that we released, they were the Osceola subspecies. Similarly, we did a restoration up around Jacksonville, and uh, which is kind of on the line that we, we took birds from neighboring counties to make sure they're kind of a similar subspecies. So we're more sensitive to those things. And, and we had the luxury of being kind of picky and choosy in where we're pulling birds from. Uh, I mentioned earlier that back in the 50s, 60s, when we were doing a lot of our restoration work, we were pulling birds primarily from South Florida and moving them to areas north. And so, if anything, we were reinforcing the, the Osceola genetics into areas in, in more northern portions of the state by doing that. Yeah. But, so, yeah, I don't have any real big concern of, of as you said, muddying the waters genetically. Very interesting. You know, in, the, in that intergrade that you were talking about, that's new to me. I didn't know that it existed and, and that there were characteristics of the Osceolas that ran that far west. So mm-hmm. that's, that's very interesting. Well, Roger, that's all the questions that I have for you. I think I literally could talk Osceolas with you all day, but I know you don't have time for that. And, you know, I've got, uh, well, I've got some editing to do and a show to put out there, so I don't have time for all that <laughs> either. But uh, I, I really do appreciate your time and the information that you've shared with us about Osceolas. And, you know, I've said it a couple of times for you guys that, have not hunted Osceolas yet, whether you even have a desire to complete a Grand Slam or not, I want to recommend going to Florida and hunting not just the Osceolas, but you can hunt the Easterns in the Panhandle as well. Mm -hmm. But it is just truly, it's a different experience than hunting the foothills of the Appalachians, Appalachians Mm -hmm. or, you know, hunting the big oak flats and some of the swampy areas in the south and that kind of thing. It's something that I think people really enjoy a whole lot. If you do get out further south and hunt those Osceolas, there really is that mystique about them. And, you know, they are kind of like a ghost in the swamp. They're Mm -hmm. they're here and they're gone, and they're something really cool to sit back and watch if you get the opportunity to do that. And I highly recommend you guys listening to the show put that on your bucket list and try to make that happen at some point and get to Florida and do some hunting. Well, we'd love to have you. Anybody come on down and spend a week down here hunting. And I'll offer if, if anybody's, you know, trying to plan a hunt and got questions, I'm more than 
willing to visit with them and, and share what knowledge I can with them and help steer them in a good direction. That is a huge help. That is more than I'm sure I could I could ask of you to do. And I know that you will most likely get a phone call or two from from this recording and that offer that you made. And so I know I'm appreciative of you, go, of you offering that. And, you know, I'm not ever going to ask Roger or any other guest to tell me a tree to go sit beside, uh, you know, his favorite honey hole to go and hunt <laughs> on this recording. That would be crazy. But I wouldn't tell you anyway. But. <laughs> see, there you go. <laughs> but if you call Roger and you have a conversation with him, maybe he'll put you within about 40 or 60 acres of his favorite tree to sit against. So you never know what will happen if you make that phone call. So, Roger, thank you for being so gracious and being, well, gracious with your offer, but gracious with your knowledge and information about the Osceola's. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I wish you and yours a very happy holiday season coming up and hopefully look forward to maybe doing this again with you sometime soon. All right. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure visiting with you and, and talking turkey. We, we love doing it. Thanks a bunch. I hope you have a great day and we'll talk again sometime soon. All right. Happy holidays. Thank you. Okay. So first, I want to thank Roger for taking time out of what is a very busy schedule to come on the show and share with us what I feel like is some great information for those of us who want to go and hunt Osceola turkeys. And I hope that you guys enjoyed the information that Roger shared with us. All right, so that's it. I'm going to cut you guys loose for the week. But before I do, I need one favor from you guys. Here's the favor for this week. Please like, share, and retweet this week's episode on social media for me. That is a huge help with promoting the show, and it really goes a long way to introduce the show to new listeners, and I appreciate you guys for doing that. All right, so I'm off to the airport to pick up Yankee buddy John. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in this week, guys. I know that you have choices, and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.